Tulips Again by Susan Fromberg Schaefer. There is a moist heat in the air, and the clouds puff like humidifiers. In fact, it is hard to breathe. The first of November, and the leaves are yellowing. The earth is soft as cookie dough, the feel of grandmother love. And I am out here planting tulips. One hundred of them, assuming it is true, the frost can only sink its iron teeth so deep. That these small hearts, these white visions of fire, can wait out the white season when the blood stops, when the blood slows, and the sky steps back. If God did die and left something behind, surely he left these tulips, these crazy women of womb shapes, who enter the earth and connive with the worms to survive? Sylvia, you knew their blood side. Anne, what did you think of them? Surely you knew. They wore the shapes of an onion, each with its crest, a planet over an ocean of tears, and their skins crumble like dry hulks of insects. Reincarnated, they are primordial. What am I doing here, planting these tulips, assuming I will see them again, assuming we both will be back? The spring will. They have the onion shapes of churches' domes in Russia. I am burying 100 churches, spires up. I am trying belief. We've made it past the rush of the holidays. Somehow, and we made it past the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year. Now, the daylight is inching longer, but we are in that strange season where, despite the growing light, it gets colder and colder for months to come. What do we do in this season? And here we are in this particular new winter with the threat of increasing international hostility. Perhaps does the season of cold and unfriendliness stretch out into the distant future. Despite the cold ahead and the darkness ahead, the growing light is nature's reminder, we must prepare for spring. We must prepare for spring. If we lived several generations ago around this time of year, before the earth has sealed up into ice and the ground is still a nice mushy brown, we would be thinking, what can we still plant before winter seals our fate for spring? What can we still plant in our lives? Nature's metaphor has a lot to teach us. A lot to teach us about how we move into a new year. What do we carry with us? What shall we let go of? What do we plant in our lives while we still can? It proves to be a challenging question in modern life. A lot of our habits of New Year's seem to me not particularly helpful 
Think of your New Year's resolutions or that of your friends or neighbors, those you've heard recently. Will they sustain a person deeply? Most of the New Year's resolutions that I hear are about depriving yourself. They are this mustering of willpower to get you through some weeks of deprivation, self-inflicted discomfort. And maybe they're for the good. Maybe it is good change that you need or that your loved ones desperately want in you. But in my experience, willpower can't be so easily forced. It needs to spring from a deeper well of nourishment that allows willpower to be a thing, a being that is part of us. Take my annual journey with fudge, for example. (laughs) I like fudge a lot, but I am very choosy with my fudge. I really only like the fudge that I make and that my mother makes. This is probably a good thing. In fact, I really should have brought some here to share it with you, but it's all gone. (laughs) It doesn't last long in my house. And I make fudge between New Year's Eve and Christmas Eve, and so by now, there's no more fudge. Well, as habits go, it's not such a bad thing. I love nibbling on fudge all day long. I do have the restraint to not start until after my morning coffee. (laughs) But in years past, this has been an annual thing for years, my fudge season. (laughs) But in years past, I would have to muster such a mighty feeling of resolution inside. No more sugar, no more fudge at the New Year's resolution. And still, it kind of cropped back up through January, and there was the late January resolution before February gets here to give up fudge. But something has changed in the last decade or so. Something has changed so that now, when season of fudge has ended, (laughs) I just let it go. Unless you were to put it in front of me, I I don't feel the craving for it. And what has changed when I look back compared to 15 years ago is that I have a greater well of nourishment of green leafy vegetables and beans in my life and a greater well of spiritual nourishment so that I am able to, as long as it's not in front of me, (laughs) I'll be honest, let go of the fudge and I don't feel the craving for it. It is not the mighty, harsh resolution, but the nourishment that I've provided in my life that has allowed me to have the fudge when I want it and to let it go when it no longer benefits me. (laughs) We need nourishment, body, mind, and spirit. The science tells us we used to think body and mind were different, and now we know that you're gut microbiome is communicating with your brain, so we're kind of all interconnected. We need nourishment in all these places in our lives to flourish as whole human beings. So along with the New Year's resolutions to give up things that we perhaps need a break from, like fudge, 
we must resolve to care for our spirits as well. How do you care for the spirit, for your soul? We carry varied meanings of the word soul and spirit in this space. There is no one definition. For some of us, the word means something strong, and perhaps we're pushing against that because of everything that is laid upon that term. So I will share what it is for me when I use the term. Perhaps you can connect more with that. For me, there's not a separate thing, a soul, a spirit, as much as a simultaneous quality of deep-rootedness to myself and interconnection with others. A deep sense of purpose, connection with my nature, my flaws, my ancestry, and my future, and the beneficence for everyone, good for all. So by soul care, I mean feeling connected with this integral part of myself with a compassionate purpose. That's my soul care. So here in the deep of winter, as we move into the new year, may we each find an opportunity to move with intention for our own soul care, inner care, care of our deepest self. But how do we do that? How do we even notice what this soul needs? It's a quiet, subtle voice in our lives. There's a hint in the poem, The Chalice Lighting, by Martha Postlewaite, The Clearing. Make a clearing in the dense forest of your life. You don't have to wipe out the forest. Just make a clearing and wait there patiently with yourself in that clearing until the song that sings to you arrives and then you recognize it. Make a clearing and wait there patiently. Where in your life do you have quiet space? free of the weeds of worry that draw you away, a quiet space to return to again and again and wait. I acknowledge that being still and patiently waiting for insight to arrive can make room for anxiety to enter. We can think of things we did not want to know about ourselves or our lives We can get bored. We can become anxious that we're not getting something productive done. We certainly live in a society that values a certain kind of productivity. But waiting patiently does have its own fruit. And in time, something grows and blooms like the daffodil. And so, waiting... Waiting in the clearing, not only taking things away, but placing yourself in the clearing. Mere deprivation, thankfully, thankfully, deprivation is not going to do it for you. Put something in your clearing, in your life, that makes you feel connected with yourself, that brings you a sense of joy, and be there with that. 
Fill the space with things that you can enjoy. Fortunately, it is quite affordable to find a clearing in your life. You do not have to go book a long, silent retreat at a monastery or engage in an advanced yoga practice and pay somebody a lot of money, although I'm sure that would help. It would probably help my yoga practice to have somebody tell me that I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> but there are everyday things you can do. In fact, there's a book which you can check out from our library. I think it's still there. It's Everyday Spiritual Practices, Simple Pathways for Enriching Your Life from Scott Alexander, the editor. There are a bounty of things from contemplation, like a silent at-home mini-retreat, to meditation, then activities of nourishment, food, taking food to the level of a spiritual practice, right action, social justice presence, and creativity. The quilters in here perhaps already know that quilting, weaving, creating something is a spiritual practice. But you must attend it regularly and repeatedly in order for it to grow. It needs time and watering and sunshine in your life. Cultivating practices like this and creating space in your clearing, and there you are, and the song that is your life arrives. What do you do if it seems that what you most need at this point in your life might take so long to cultivate that you might not ever achieve it, or you might not live to see it? What then? Will you plant those seeds in your life and tend them? The poem, Tulips Again. When I first read this years ago, I didn't know why it was stuck with me. But there is an answer to that question, why plant tulips? The poet Susan Fromberg Schaefer is ill, very ill, undergoing a treatment for an illness and she may not survive. In the poem, by the way, she recognizes two poets, Sylvia and Anne, who've written about tulips. Why plant tulips? Here in her closing line, she tells us, planting these tulips, assuming I will see them again, assuming we both will be back, the spring will, they have onion shapes the shapes of churches' domes in Russia. I am burying a hundred churches' spires up. I'm trying belief. It is a humble and defiant act of faith. Faith in her spirit. Faith in the possibility of beauty. Just the possibility that she might be there to see them. An act of faith, it's the kind of faith that we can cultivate now. The kind of faith that we need to cultivate that will urge us to plant the seeds of compassion and love despite a world that seems to be teetering on the precipice of war. The winter may come and we must plant now.
and prepare for spring. I want to invite us into a time where we think deeply about the practices that will create space in our lives to create a clearing so that the song that is your life can come to you. We will pass out paper and pens. There's work to do. I have an assignment for you. (laughs) But this is special paper. This is seed paper. You can write on the paper with a pen and write the practice that will create a clearing in your life. When you are ready to engage in that practice and show up for it every day or every week, if it's like a Sabbath, a weekly practice, when you are ready to create this clearing in your life, then plant the paper. I'll give you instructions later. And when you plant that, watch it every day and watch it just as you watch your own clearing to see what arrives. As we do this, I want us to begin with a meditation. Now, we'll pass these along. You take one piece of paper and a pen and keep passing it. But we're going to begin with a meditation that is sung, meditation on breathing in our teal hymnals. After we have sung this a couple of times, Brad will continue the melody on the piano. Throughout this time, Center yourself in the practice that you need. And then, after we sing, write it or draw a picture of it. And then I'll tell you how to care for your paper at home. Please remain seated. This seed paper will wait for you. It will wait. These seeds are dormant just like so much of you is dormant and waiting for a space. But when you are ready, simply drench this paper in water and place it in a pot, perhaps a terracotta pot, under soil about a half inch thick, maybe a little more, and place it in a sunny window. Water it occasionally. Keep it moist, but not soaking wet. And see what comes in your clearing. Attend to your soul's nourishment. I say this, and then I know it is hard to show up again and again for yourself. When you start a new spiritual practice, especially if you put something completely new to you, it can feel uncomfortable, awkward. Here you are doing this thing and it's not working and you feel no inspiration, or perhaps you get inspiration too soon. I remember my own experience with boredom slash too soon inspiration. It was a new sitting practice and I told my instructor after Doing it twice, I had had the best epiphany. My breath was one with the ocean waves. I was one with the universe. I was done. Thanks. (laughs) Could I go and have a shorter practice or do something else with my time now? And he said, 
good for you. But you haven't learned how to sit when you're bored yet. You haven't even gotten started. Well, shoot, I thought I was doing it really right. But we have to stay with ourselves past that sudden spark all the way through awkwardness, through a nice big helping of boredom to swim through, and just keep showing up. What comes will change over time. What grows there will change. But if you keep showing up for yourself, despite the boredom, despite the discomfort, despite being reminded of parts of yourself that you have been trying to forget about, something will come. And it will always be a connection to your very core. A connection to your core, your being, your power. In whatever shape it comes to you, recognize it and take it. Go through the joy and the discomfort. Go through the boredom and the two early epiphanies and see what comes in your life when you show up for yourself and take care of your own precious spirit. May the seed papers, may these resolutions that we've made tend us through this winter and every winter and even throughout the strains of summer and fall. May we create a clearing and revel in what unfolds in our lives. Amen.